Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have to tell you guys, I am pretty excited about this conversation. I have Dr. Bruce Christensen from Cocapelli Assisted Reproductive Services down Sacramento, California way. And Bruce was involved in a case that one of our listeners kind of gave me a heads up to. Wendy Core has Alaskan Malamutes. And she told me about this story and it was so incredible. I really wanted to bring it to you guys and have Dr. Christensen share some of the information that he developed, encountered, used while dealing with a pretty overwhelming, potentially devastating case of canine herpes virus. All right, guys, are you planning your next litter of puppies? Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing. Embark, creator of the highest rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing, such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me, through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. Welcome. I'm super excited you could be with us, Dr. Christensen. Oh, it's a pleasure. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about, Wendy is a regular client, right? So this was something you'd been dealing with all along. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of repeat regular clients. She's definitely somebody we've seen a number of times. Yeah. Right. So I am doing this from my understanding from Wendy. So third hand. So I'm hopeful that you've got more additional information, but you had a case of canine herpes virus that was diagnosed before the puppies were born. Is that correct? Yeah. I don't know how much information I can share from the case, even though Wendy did. She shared some, she is part of the podcast. So she has a recording already in the box. So she shared her part. (laughs) Okay. Well, so I could say in general too, how these cases work, but then specifically with this one too. So yeah, herpes virus is not something that we typically screen for on a routine basis with our breeding bitches. It could be argued that maybe we should, but I guess in our conversation today, we can probably talk about why that is or isn't so. The bottom line is that it's a pretty common virus. And Mm -hmm. so most bitches 
and stud dogs have been exposed to it and have it essentially, although it's not actively causing disease in most of them. However, the dangerous thing is if a bitch hasn't been exposed to herpes virus and then she's initially exposed to it while she's pregnant, especially in that last half of gestation, that would be the most dangerous time because the first time that an animal is exposed to herpes virus, they have the strongest immune response and the least prepared immune response. So right. the virus has more of a head start since the body hasn't seen it before. There aren't any lingering antibodies to recognize the virus and mount a quicker subsequent response. So the initial response is a little slower at coming and gives the virus more time to do damage. Right. And that damage during the second half of pregnancy will involve the fetuses and potentially much more likely infect them than if the bitch had already been exposed. So I feel like I'm kind of jumping a couple steps ahead of myself. No, this is good. So let's go back to, I mean, we've done overviews on the podcast of canine herpes virus. Most people are familiar with the concept. So what can be signs that would trigger you to, if you have a bitch in well, say I should test for canine herpes virus. I mean, what is it that's going to cause you to look for this in the first place? Well, because the most dangerous situation is encountering herpes virus for the first time during pregnancy, especially the second half, if you have a bitch that you're going to breed, you don't know her herpes virus status, and there's the potential that she's going to be exposed to outside dogs during that time, then you really do want to think about having her tested because if she's positive, then you don't really worry about her being exposed again as much. I mean, biology right. being what it is, there are exceptions and every dog is different and will have different sensitivities. But for the most part, if a bitch has been exposed before, then she'll have antibodies she's already got the virus in her just in a latent state. Mm -hmm. And if it recrudesces or comes back out, her immune system should be adequate enough to protect the puppies that are in utero. So if you find that she's naive, in other words, that she has not been exposed to herpes virus, then you need to be hypervigilant about keeping her away from other dogs throughout the rest of her pregnancy, because you don't want her to be exposed for the first time during her pregnancy. So that dog needs to be on real lockdown and isolation from any outside dogs. If you have dogs in your household that will have contact with her, because it'd just be too difficult to keep them apart, mm -hmm. they need to be tested. Mm -hmm. And if they're negative, then they can continue to have contact with her and no other dogs. If they're positive, then you probably want to temporarily rehome them to keep them away from her during that pregnancy so that they don't potentially spread it to her while she's pregnant. So I know you've had, as you said, podcasts about this before, but let me just remind everybody that the way herpes virus works, and this is true in any species, every species, well, most species have their own herpes viruses and they're not communicable between species. So we don't know That's herpes virus like coronavirus. You know, we mm -hmm. all know coronavirus mm -hmm. jumps between species because of what the world's gone through in the last couple of years. Right. Herpes virus doesn't do that. It pretty much stays true to the species it's evolved with. But once you get a herpes infection, the viruses pretty much behave the same, which is that they go into your cells and they stay in your cells for your lifetime. Now, they're usually quiet 
and just sit there, not replicating, just quiet inside the cells. But usually it's in times of stress that they are triggered and they come out and they start replicating it. And so everybody listening to this podcast is going to be familiar with herpes virus in people and especially the cold sore. The oral right. form of herpes virus where we get cold sores. Right. And most of us got that. And we realized we had it in high school or college right. because when finals time comes around, we get cold sores or some other, you know, stressful events coming along and we pop up with a cold sore, you know, right before your wedding, damn it. Yes. I got a cold sore. There it is. So that's because the virus, once you've got it, it's in your body forever. And during times of stress, it'll come out and cause those annoying problems. In the dog, it's the same. Once a dog becomes exposed to herpes virus, it's in the dog for life. But most of the time, it's just quiet inside the cells. During times of stress, it can come back out. And interestingly, in dogs, the clinical signs usually are not necessarily like cold sores, but not too far off. They get blister-like lesions in their mucosal surfaces. So it's similar to a cold sore. But you'll see these little blisters in their on their gums or if they're a male dog on their prepuce, if they're a female in their vaginal mucosa and you'll see that. And that's it. They don't cause anything except maybe some minor discomfort, but they are at that point shedding Mm. and they can pass it quite easily from one dog to another. And the virus is really weak outside the body. So it's not like it's going to live very long in a kennel or in a backyard. Mm -hmm. Any kind of cleaning product will kill it. Sunlight's going to kill it. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't live long like other viruses can in the environment, but passing from dog to dog, you know, they meet each other, they lick each other, they smell each other. Mm -hmm. They can pass it quite easily that way. And once you've got it, you've got it. So that's getting back to what I was originally saying. We want to make sure that the first time that a bitch is exposed is not while she's pregnant, because if she is, it can very easily have a really strong response inside her and get through the placenta into the puppies, infect the puppies in utero and can cause abortion. If it happens at the opportune time for that. Or if it doesn't, it she's at least secreting a lot. And when the puppies are born, they'll be exposed to it. There's a lot of virus that is secreted in vaginal secretions. So during birth, they can be exposed and they can still be exposed afterwards, even if it's a C-section and they don't pass through the birth canal, which is one thing that some people suggest to avoid that, they still have exposure to the bitch mm-hmm. and they can be exposed when they're young. Mm-hmm. And even though in older animals, it's just really an annoyance to have herpes virus because it causes these blister-like lesions. Mm. In the puppies, their immune system is not functioning well at all. And one of the major things that keeps herpes virus at bay and just causing these little blister-like lesions and not more is that it doesn't replicate very well at normal body temperature. So for a dog, that's 99 to 101-ish degrees Fahrenheit, and it doesn't replicate well at that temperature. But if it gets below 97, then now it can replicate pretty fast and furious. And in those puppies that are colder than that, if their environment doesn't keep them warm up in the 99 plus range, then it will do more than blisters. It will attack their kidneys. It will attack their liver. It will attack their lungs. It'll attack all the major organs of their body and cause very rapid death within a couple of days. So that's the background that we're... Right, exactly. And so a couple things. Can you, and this is part of the reason you and I are talking is because of this protocol that you used for one of our listeners. Can you, if you test your bitch, can you treat her prophylactically against 
the puppy's developing symptoms at birth. Right. So yes, if you have a concern that your bitch may have been exposed, or maybe you've got a bitch that has had a repeat problem. And so you have Mm -hmm. a good suspicion that that bitch, her immune system might not be up to par against the herpes virus like it Mm -hmm. should be. Yes, you can prophylactically treat. I will say that there aren't enough of these cases out there that they've been case controlled studies that have been done. So this evidence is anecdotal. Anecdotal at best. Got it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's the anecdotal evidence. I'll take it. <laughs> as strong as, right. and the veterinarian's mantra of first do no harm. Mm-hmm. None of this has side effects that we are worried might do harm. So right. you feel pretty good about these protocols. So there are antiviral drugs. And the one that many people may be familiar with is acyclovir. And that is the drug that we have used with, we think, some good success against herpes virus. It's used in people, it's used in animals. So treating the bitch with acyclovir can help to decrease the amount of herpes virus that is present and active in her body, and then hopefully keep it from having an active crossing into the uterus and affecting the fetuses. So that's one thing you can do while she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. And that antiviral is safe for her, safe for the puppies. So there's no concern in that respect. So that's very good. Yes. There aren't any side effects with acyclovir that are common that we have big concerns about. Okay. And then again, you have this bitch that you either suspect or you've had tested, you know, is carrying the virus while she's pregnant what are some of the recommendations that you can do for the puppies that are to help keep them higher temperature and all that sort of thing? Right. So we already mentioned the idea of doing a C-section, elective mm-hmm. C-section, and I think it's worth a conversation, but it's not something that we recommend as it's just a blanket recommendation for right. these cases because there are pluses and minuses for elective C-sections and you have to weigh all of those. Mm-hmm. There probably is an advantage with regard to herpes virus, to doing a C-section, because you do totally avoid that prolonged exposure to the vaginal secretions of the bitch and the puppies first coming out and breathing and having the fluids of the female along with their own fluids mixed and probably ingesting it, some of that. So probably getting a decent load of the virus in that process. So there probably is an advantage. Now, again, how much of an advantage? That hasn't been something that's been studied and shown to be significant. We don't know but it does make sense. However, you have to weigh that against the negatives of C-section. If you're dealing with a breed like a Malamute that tend to be a little more connected to their wild ancestry, there are certain breeds that you worry a little bit more about the maternal instincts kicking in when you disrupt that natural process of giving birth. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's not going to do you much good to get the puppies out and save them from herpes virus if the bitch is not a good mother, especially if she savages the puppies. So if that's a concern with your particular Mm -hmm. breed, then you have to weigh that. Now, certainly there are precautions you can take and lots and lots of those breeds have C-sections and turn out to be great moms. It is just a concern that you Mm -hmm. need to have in mind and not take for granted. And put in the appropriate precautions that you would to make sure she's being a good mom before you leave her alone with the puppies. And then, of course, there's (laughs) surgery and the costs and the risks of that. And these bitches are, as far as surgery goes, much lower risk because they are healthy animals otherwise. But it's not a zero risk. So you just have to go in with that in mind. Regardless, I'll say of whether they're born by C-section or natural, 
one of the most important things you can do for the puppies is to keep them warm and remembering that their little internal thermostats don't start fully functioning until they're somewhere between two and three weeks of age. So up until that point, they're really like little lizards, little cold-blooded poikilotherms crawling around and relying on their environment to keep them warm. So the mother does a good job of that, but she's not always there. So you have to keep the nesting area warm. And the thing that makes me chuckle sometimes when I'm talking to clients about this, I don't mean to poke fun, but there are a number of breeders that they think they can turn their thermostat up in their house and get it warm enough. (laughs) And that these puppies need to have a body temperature above 97. You're not going to ever get your house that warm for heaven's sakes. Never. I don't think your thermostat would go up that high. And man, if it does your bills and your heating bill would be ridiculous, ridiculous. So you're going to use a heating lamp is the best way to do that. You can use heat pads. I am not as happy with those because they're not as consistent They can have hot spots and cold spots. They can malfunction without you knowing, Mm -hmm. you know, a heat lamp can malfunction too, but you can Mm -hmm. pick that up a lot easier and the damage is less because it's not going to be a hot spot and a cold spot because of the radiant heat that's coming from it. So that's what I recommend is especially those ceramic heat bulbs that you can get for reptiles from a pet store Mm -hmm. and then just hang them suspended above the whelping box and put a thermometer down in the very center and see how hot it is. And if it's not hot enough, you lower the lamp. If it's too hot, you raise it. And Mm. I would shoot for a temperature somewhere in the center. So at the warmest part, somewhere around 99, 100, and then it will cool as it gets towards the edges, but then the puppies can be in that warm spot. Even as much as 102 is okay in the center, because that'll be the warmest and then Mm -hmm. it'll be cooler as it radiates out from the loping area. And if the puppies are that warm, then they're going to be fine. Now, the way you really know that they're that warm is you periodically take puppies' temperatures. Right. You can do that. You just get right. the little rectal thermometer yep. with a little bit of lube and you only have to put it in a centimeter. Yep. Right. <laughs> put it in and check and see where they're at. And that will let you know. That's also important for their digestion, which is another mm-hmm. topic, but mm-hmm. keeping them warm is super important for herpes virus. The virus can't replicate at those higher temperatures enough to hurt the puppies. Right. Hang tight, guys got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, you guys, if you are part of a national breed club in the U.S. or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet, have just launched a super exciting national breed club referral program. I mean, I'm saying you guys have heard me talk about Trupanion's breeder support program before. And this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now you can partner with Trupanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part, your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member that joins the program. It's pretty much of a win-win, guys. If you're interested and want to learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtalk.com and click on the link at TruePan. What's really, really interesting is that so many of us in recent years have moved away from heating the entire whelping box because of the dam's unwillingness to be in that hot space and using the dam's body temperature and providing 
a heated area, but I think what's notable is that this is particularly critical for bitches or puppies where we know that there's an issue with the canine herpes virus. Yeah. In the most extreme circumstances, I've had breeders that have just had incubators that they have set at the appropriate temperature. That's what I've done. (laughs) And then they just have pulled the puppies out for nursing. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's not ideal either because then the bitch is separated from the puppies for long periods of time. But if you need to do that, and it only needs to be the first two to three weeks, then after that, the puppies have their own internal thermostats working just fine and you don't need to keep them in the incubator, then you may need to do that. I will throw out a word of caution. If you're doing an incubator, do not take for granted that the thermostat temperature reading is what is really the temperature inside the incubator. Mm -hmm. You can have incubators malfunction and, you know, some brands are probably better than others. And even the best brands, it's a machine and it can malfunction. So you want to make sure that you just have an external temperature measuring source, correct? another thermometer that's not part of the incubator system that you can just stick in and check the temperature. And probably the most accurate ones are called thermocouples, but actually the cheapest and probably most accurate one is just to buy a thermometer. Those little digital thermometers stick it in the corner. It's all good. (laughs) Yeah. And not necessarily the body ones because they've got a limited range. Mm -hmm. They're dialed in for body temperature and these can get much hotter. You probably have heard stories of people who have had incubators malfunction and actually kill the puppies by by cooking cooking them. So just get like an outdoor thermometer kind of thing. Like you would have to check the temperature in in your environment and just put that inside the incubator and you can double check and make sure the temperature is truly what it should be. And those shouldn't malfunction. They're based on the alcohol or the mercury. Well, not so much mercury anymore, but we've gone away from that now. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not going to malfunction. Right. And so keeping the puppies warm one way or the other, keeping their temperature up to 100 degrees, their body temperature, what else can we do for them to support them in this situation? That is the most About important. About it? Okay. Yeah, because the drug, the acyclovir, mm-hmm. again, no studies in use in dogs, let alone the puppies, but... I just can't see in my own experience and talking to others and just thinking about how it works. Once the virus has taken hold, then it's caused so much damage already that we just haven't had any success in saving those puppies. So unless you were to put them on the cyclovir right from the beginning, I mean, that's something to think about, but that would have to be done. They'd have to be on the cyclovir before the symptoms started. Once the symptoms start, temperature, acyclovir, nothing's going to help. No. Okay. So let's go back to step one then. I'm going to breed my bitch. She's been out. She's been a show dog. She's been to field trials, you know, whatever it is. And she's going to be bred. Would you recommend, and it sounds like you would, (laughs) just doing a titer test on your female before she's bred? Again, it's not something that we do routinely because so many bitches and dogs just have been exposed already. But if there's any concern or suspicion, yes, it's certainly a test that you could do. The titers, you have to interpret those results carefully. But if you're just trying to do, a, in this case, exposure versus not, then that's a good way to do it. Because if it's low, then you're going to assume she's naive to the virus. If it's not low, then you're going to assume she's been exposed. 
I guess where it's not as helpful is if you're trying to diagnose the problem, then a titer doesn't necessarily give you that answer. But in your question, yes, that could be very helpful. And so what is the best way then to diagnose it? How do I know if my pregnant female is having a problem with herpes right now? How do I find that out? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And the definitive way is to have seen the virus or the effects of the virus on a microscope. Okay. So in other words, a biopsy sample is the best way. Now, diagnosing that while she's still pregnant, no. Then you're pretty much stuck with either titers or a PCR test to see if the virus is active. And you can do that. You'd probably want to do paired titers if you're doing an antibody test to see if it stays high or if it's rising, unless it's really sky high. A PCR test would be more definitive, but also prone to false results too. Interesting. You have to couple any test with Mm -hmm. more than just one diagnostic result to say what your diagnosis is. If, however, we're talking about she's already had the puppies and you've lost one or two and you want to know, yes, then the best answer is going to be from the puppies. From the puppy and do a necropsy, right? Right. And necropsies in puppies that you've lost, in general, your breeders should always be thinking about this. If you have losses during the early neonatal period, especially during birth, you want to save not only the puppy that has come out stillborn or died shortly after birth, but the placentas too. There's a world of information that you can get from the placentas. And usually we just throw those away or the bitch eats them and we just don't think of saving them. But if you know you're having problems with whelping, then grabbing those placentas, sticking them in a Ziploc baggie and putting them in the fridge (laughs) is a very good thing until you figure out if you're going to use them or not. Mm-hmm. But then taking the freshly deceased puppies and also putting them in a Ziploc bag, sticking them in the fridge and contacting your vet is where you're going to get your information. Now, if it's herpes virus, often you won't have the placentas because most of the time herpes virus is affecting puppies after they're one or two days old. It takes that long. You know, mm-hmm. They are exposed during the birthing process. It'll take a day or two for them to start having symptoms. Right. And by then the placentas are thrown away and gone. Right. And I think that so many times, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but my understanding is that so many times what we think of as fading puppies is really CHV. So fading puppies is... Okay, so this is why I'm asking. This is great. Right. And we use that term all the time. It is a term that drives pathologists crazy. And some that's because... fading puppy syndrome. I mean, it's just, it can describe so many things can cause that. And there's so many different symptoms, but you're right. Puppies that die quickly within the first couple of weeks of their life, canine herpes virus is at the top of the list. There are a number of other things on that list, Mm -hmm. but that is a star player in that list of Mm -hmm. culprits, potential Mm -hmm. culprits. Yes. And the diagnosis of it or saying that that's not it and it's something else. Mm -hmm. One of the best tools is having a deceased puppy. And if there are more than one, then don't just bring one, keep all of them because it's not always the same thing that is killing every puppy in the litter. It's not uncommon for there to be more than one reason. And in truth, we don't know how common that is because most of the time we probably do just get one puppy. And so we just assume, or we have to assume that whatever killed that puppy, if we can figure it out, is what killed all the rest. The other thing is that we don't always get an answer from one puppy because there may be 
better lesions in one than Mm -hmm. another. Mm -hmm. And so you will be giving yourself a much better chance of getting a diagnosis if you save everything that has been deceased as quickly as you can, putting in the fridge and getting it to your vet. And your regular veterinarian can do the necropsy and identify this, correct? Yes, yes. So let's get to that. So if it's herpes virus, you may not need to submit any samples at all. Well, not for histopathology, not to Mm -hmm. pathologist. You might not because if your veterinarian starts doing the necropsy and just opens up the puppy and looks at the kidneys, Mm -hmm. if the kidneys have a typical modeled type of appearance, which is what we call pathognomonic, that's a medical term that means this sign equals this disease. Right. Almost without exception. Right. So if they've got kidneys that instead of being a uniform reddish brown color are more of a mottled appearance, that is nearly pathognomonic for herpes virus. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to submit more tissues for microscopic analysis. You just, that's your diagnosis. Cause we just don't really have anything else that we know of that makes that. That change. does that. Okay. Yeah. But okay. even if you don't see that and you're still wondering, then your vet can do the necropsy. They may not see anything. They might, they might not, but if they don't, they can still take samples of the little tissues inside the neonates mm-hmm. and send those to a pathologist to look at. Mm-hmm. And it's not as expensive to do that as a full necropsy with a pathologist right. or depending on where they're sent. There are a couple of really good pathologists out there that a lot of veterinarians use for their reproductive diagnoses. One is Dr. Dalen Agnew at Michigan State University, and the other is Dr. Chris Perimenden of the Ohio State University. Yes. Those two are very well known for mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. background and expertise in reproductive diseases. So we usually send ours to one of those. And they can look at it and tell you if it was something that has been diagnosed before. They can pick up infectious disease. They can pick up congenital issues. So interesting. Liver shunt. That's the best way to diagnose the disease Mm -hmm. for sure. You can do PCR testing as well Mm -hmm. on the puppy tissues on the bitch. You can do Mm -hmm. serum testing for antibodies on the bitch and look for how high her titer might be. But the definitive is the the biopsy results. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think that this is just such a fascinating topic that people don't necessarily understand as well as they might. So this is why we do this. This is a fabulous conversation to help them understand some of the things they can do. I personally have lost an entire litter. I lost a couple puppies. So I've lived it. And so I think it's really important for people who haven't lived it to be able to get the information and know how to not live it. Yeah, I'm sure even if it hasn't happened to a breeder who's listening to this, if they just think about how devastating that might be to put in all of the effort emotionally, financially, Mm -hmm. intellectually planning these litters. And, you know, at least with dogs, it's a two month gestation. I also do horses and man, when something like that happens there, they've got one, one full and it's 11 month gestation. So, I mean, I've been learning lately to try to look at my life. And when I bemoan (laughs) myself to say, you know what, there are others that have to deal with worse. So for your dog breeders, I would say, my heart goes out to you. This is my profession. I definitely feel your pain. But if you have to say it could be worse, think at least you're not a horse breeder and that's happening to you. Even so, it is a painful thing to go through. And then to see these little puppies that are so dependent on you and their mother 
And you many times you just don't understand what's going on. They're fine. Well, they and then they look fine for a day or two. They're <laughs> thriving. And, they, and then one after another, they just start dying. You're like what is going on? I seem to don't understand it. And it, it's devastating. It's devastating. It really is. All right. Well, Dr. Christensen, thank you so, so very much. I really, really appreciate your time. And I look forward to maybe chatting with you again in the future. I know you do some really cool stuff down there at your clinic. So well, we'd be happy to chat anytime. That'd be amazing. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access, opportunities, and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is Pure Pep Talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.